before I start, let's pray. I was, uh, you know, just got caught up in my thoughts, worshiping God, but I thought, you know what, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Let's just do what we're worshiping. Father God, I thank you right now. We invite your Holy Spirit here. We know you're here. We know that you operate with us and through us. And this morning right now, we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to to hear the Word of God. Help us to understand the Word. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us into all truth this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you would anoint my mouth, my mind and my heart to speak the Word of God and open up the hearts to hear the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning I'm going to continue on the series we've been on for quite some time called Revealing Jesus. And uh, we've been looking at the life, the character, the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus through the Gospel of John. Um, and the whole purpose of John, which we've I've repeated a number of times, is that, you know, Christ be revealed. And Christ be re- being revealed as God himself and all that believe will have everlasting life. And uh, this morning, and it's this morning, we're going to continue on that, and we're up to chapter 8. So we've been on it for quite some time. I think I started back in October. I was having a look at my notes. and uh, But it's been an amazing journey so far, and the other preachers have now joined in uh, to take a chapter or, or, or chunks at a time. This morning, I'll be focusing on the first 19 verses of chapter 8, and I think Athena is going to continue on next week, which is here. Um, but... Um, so the story, if we, if you remember last week in chapter 7, the story was set in Jerusalem. So they had finished now the, the feast of Tabernacles, where it's a yearly feast and it's a whole week and they're celebrating and celebrating the fact that God came through and he, you know, he, he smashed that uh, rock and the water flew out in the, in the time of Exodus. Just, and they're celebrating the whole week and Jesus, Jesus comes up and he finally reveals himself publicly that he is the living water. And, uh, and that's where we're up to at the moment. And, um, as Jesus reveals himself as the living water, he offers up the Holy Spirit, uh, to, that, that is to come after his resurrection, which is what we enjoy today. And with that truth, anytime the truth is preached, anytime the truth of the gospel is shared, there's always different responses. People respond to the words. People respond to the truth always in a different way. And we saw last week there were many views, many different opinions, many different responses of Jesus. Some genuinely believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Some genuinely, some were just indifferent. They were like, eh, he is, he's not, doesn't make a difference to me. And others, mainly the religious leaders, we saw that they were aggressively rejecting Jesus and they were blind because of their hatred towards him. Because and and really they were blind, and or hatred they had hatred towards him because Jesus was one to expose their many sins, and they didn't want to believe that or agree with it. And ultimately, we were left with with a question at the end that we we all, in our point of life, in in our point of our Christian lives, we need to personally answer, and the answer is or the question is how do we personally view Jesus for ourselves? How do you view Jesus? How do you see him? Do you see him as a condemning judge? Do you see him as a loving, kind father? Do you see him as Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God? Do you see him as the Holy One, the Creator, the Savior, and the Giver of life? 
how you view him and how you see him. We've been on a bit of a trend the last few chapters. How we see him determine, it determines how we respond to him and how much of our heart opens up to him. And then we turn over to chapter 8 and we get a short example um, it's a bit of a break in between all of it. We get a short example of the Pharisees trying to trap, they're, they're trying to trap Jesus again. Um, but what we see here is a picture of the heart and the character of Jesus. So in all of this, the Pharisees are doing their best to try to discredit Jesus to the crowds. There's a lot of people around in Jerusalem and they're constantly trying to find ways to trap Jesus and make him look like he is not who he says he is. And we're seeing an example of that right now. And uh, we, see, we see that even at this point, they're still trying to kill him. They're still trying to find ways. So this time in chapter 8, he's using an adulterous woman. So if you know the story of the adulterous woman, that's what we're up to. And they're trying to use the law to get him to, to, to find a way where he's not actually responding according to the law or even according to himself, which at, at that point in time, they knew him as one that's, that has mercy and loving kindness uh, throughout the people as he healed the people. So we'll, we'll start off in, in John 8, 2, uh, and we'll go up to 2, 2 to 6 at the moment. So at dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. When the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center, teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, uh, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him, they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. See, the, the religious leaders were trying to find a way to trap him. And, uh, John, uh, the gospel writer, he picks up on that obviously and he knows what's going on. But all they really did, they were just showing more of their evil hearts and more of themselves and what they were trying to do. They were trying to use the Old Testament scriptures to judge other people, and in particular, this woman. But yet, they were not even, they were not using the scriptures themselves to judge themselves and their own actions. And the very fact that they were trying to kill Jesus, which is actually, you know, a law in a law as well that you can't kill. And this is so common in Christians today and believers today and people are quick to judge quick to quote scripture quick to point others faults but really just covering up guilty sin and sin of their own and uh, that's where the story continues let's continue so John 8 6 to 11 I'm going to touch on that a little bit more later on Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger pretty cool eh writing down on the ground with his finger. Does anyone know what he wrote? Can you? We don't know. So nobody knows. I've been looking, looking around. No one's got photographic memory. No one wrote about what he wrote. But one day when we get to heaven, we're going to find out. And I'm sure many of us are going to be asking. Maybe they're sins. Who knows? Who knows how long he was down there? There's a lot of speculation out there, but we don't know. Um, so uh, continue verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you shall be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued to write on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, possibly the ones that had more sin, who knows. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, 
Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The religious leaders, they couldn't say nothing to Jesus. Jesus didn't break a law. He didn't do any of that. He didn't excuse her sin. He didn't say, you're not sinning. He didn't say any of that. Jesus stayed true to his message of showing mercy and kindness, but still upholding the law. And we see this amazingly illustrates what John the writer was saying in his prologue in in chapter 1. And he said, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, the law can reveal sin. The law reveals sin. I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments, we've got hundreds of commandments that that are there, and all it does, it reveals sin. But Jesus is the only one that can reveal grace and truth. Jesus is the only one that can offer love, forgiveness to all who acknowledge their sin and repent. See, the religious leaders at that very moment, they had an opportunity themselves to repent. They had an opportunity to themselves to open their eyes to the grace and truth and repent of their own sins and their own hypocrisy and their own legalism, which we learned about that last week. They could have fallen themselves at Jesus' feet and gone, man, look, they just, Jesus forgave this woman and look at what she's done. I mean, she deserves to be killed. I mean, how much more forgiveness can God give me? They could have said that, but unfortunately they didn't. But they had an opportunity at that point in time to get down, repent, bow down before the Lord, repent of their sins. But instead they walked away one by one and they were condemned under their own law. See, the well-educated religious men, they came to look for a way to accuse and condemn Jesus but they are the ones who ended up being condemned themselves. And it's amazing to think that, you know, people sometimes think that they're greater, smarter than God, but ultimately God has all the wisdom, all the knowledge. He's got, he knows all the thoughts. He knows the heart. He knows the motives. He knows the intention of all mankind. God's ways are greater than anyone's ways. His thoughts are much greater than anyone's thoughts. And we see with these religious leaders that uh, it's, it goes along the what James, the, the, uh, the writer of one of the letters in the New Testament, he quoted the Old Testament scripture of Proverbs. In James 4, 6, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter the Apostle also mentions this in one of his letters. And we see right throughout the scriptures that God will oppose the proud, God will oppose the self-righteous, those that I think that, that they're right, but he will love those that confess their sins, love those that acknowledge their sins. God shows mercy, he shows forgiveness to those that admit weakness. And like this woman, God's radical love transformed her. God's radical love had an opportunity to transform her from the inside and she was completely free to live a life and Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. All right, so that leads us to the next part. And what happens is now it, we shift from that story and we move on to now encountering a second I am saying. So John's gospel contains seven I am sayings by Jesus. 
And what these I am sayings, it's basically revealing Jesus as the great I am in the Old Testament scripture. We see in Exodus 3.14 that God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to, to you. And the great I am of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself, in, in this scripture or in the gospel, he says it seven times of different I am's statements of who he is. In chapter 6, John, uh, John and Cena said, uh, uh, shared to us uh, from chap- John chapter 6 that Christ is the bread of life. He said that I am the bread of life. And now in chapter 8, verse 12, we see in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, this here, right here, it's a life-changing verse. It's a light. I'm going to read it again. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Wow, that's a huge statement but we have the light of life. That's life-changing for the person that gets it, for the person that understands that truly in their heart. See, natural light from the sun is needed for this world to live, for this world to operate. I mean, even if it's 18 degrees outside, it's pretty cold. I mean, thank God we're not in Canberra or in the snowy mountains. But there's an invisible light. There's an invisible light that our eyes cannot see. I'm not talking about UV light. I'm talking about a spiritual light that awakens a spiritually dead person, that awakens a life, spiritually alive person, makes them alive. And Jesus is declaring to be the spiritual light of the world. I mean, sure, he created the sun. He created all things that we see. But he's now claiming to be the spiritual light of the world, to awaken up every heart and every spirit that believes in Christ. And there's no other source of spiritual light and life that is available to mankind other than Jesus Christ. See, once we were, we were dead, we were unaware of any light. We were just aware of these lights, right? We know that. A lot of us have been Christians for a long time. Once we were dead to any kind of spiritual life, unless, you know, there was a, a dark kind of spiritual realm, but any type of spiritual light that was going on. But until the life of Christ, and we started to understand the life of Christ, that we gave our hearts to Christ, our eyes were opened spiritually. The eyes of our hearts were opened, and the light flows into our spirits through the Holy Spirit. See, the light of Christ, it breaks darkness. The light of Christ makes a way for us. It enlightens us by the Holy Spirit, shining light, into every crack of our heart, exposing the darkness, revealing truth, and exposing sin. And once exposed, we experience the power of the Holy Spirit who instructs and guides us to repent, repenting of our sin every day and letting our hearts be open every day and choosing that light of the world in our hearts. We get to experience His loving kindness, His forgiveness, and we get to genuinely have a heart to heart connection with him. See, as true followers of light, Jesus says you'll have him when you follow him. You will have him. doesn't mean you control him. 
but you will have him. And it connects with all the scriptures that we've been reading. He says that he is yours, right? He is your living water. He is your bread of life. And like that woman caught in the act of adultery, you will never need to follow any sins no more because you have been fully satisfied, always finding that satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world and the light of our world. But the religious leaders, they reject this claim. Jesus makes a claim and they fob it off. Nah, not interested. They were completely offended. They were completely offended that Jesus even claimed to be a light or the light. See, they knew that Jesus was referring to himself as the light of the Old Testament scriptures because the Old Testament, the rabbis, will call the Messiah the light. So now Jesus is referring himself as the light and they know where it's going and they do not want to accept it. See, we read in Exodus that God was the light in the form of a cloud. He was the light in the form of fire in the time of Exodus where he, was, where he protected them from the enemies. In Psalms it says that he wraps himself with light. Amazing. Imagine trying to wrap yourself with light. Pretty cool, eh? I'd love to see that one day in heaven, of course. The psalm says that the Lord is our light and our salvation. It says that God's light is God in action. Proverbs says that the word of God is a light to guide our feet, to guide our path for those that love his instructions. In Ezekiel, it says God's light is shed abroad. In Habakkuk, it says God, God's light brings salvation. So for Jesus to say that he is the light, he is claiming that he is God. Amazing. And because the religious leaders were wicked in their hearts and their eyes were blinded because of the hatred towards him, they rejected Jesus and could not see the light for themselves. So they try and trap Jesus again. They try to go for it again. There's a little bit to understand, so I'm going to break it down a bit more. Do one uh, thing at a time. So eight, uh, John 8, 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid, right? I mean, how is that going to stand up in court? You're going to stand in the courtroom, in the booth. You're going to say, hey, I'm the Messiah, but there's no other witnesses. And how does that work, right? The Pharisees, they were trying to find some kind of contradiction. But the truth was, Jesus he was not alone in his testimony. I mean, we saw in Scripture, in, in a few of the passages before that, that even John the Baptist, there were many others, including John the Baptist, that had already testified that Jesus was the Messiah and the light of the world. But instead of talking about other witnesses, instead of bringing up, you know, John the Baptist to the witness box, instead of doing all of that, Jesus has the opportunity to focus on his relationship with the Father. And this relationship is so important for all of us to understand because only then can we truly believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus responds to them in, in verse 14. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. See, Jesus is saying, he came from God. He's saying, he speaks from God. He's saying, and he is going to God. And because they don't know him, 
They don't know God. They were ignorant in this basic spiritual truth. So they made judgment based on their own limitation and their own shallowness. And the very fact that Jesus is from God means that Jesus is the light of God, light of the world, the light of all scriptures. And the fact that they couldn't see Jesus come from God meant they couldn't see him as he truly was. And that meant he, they couldn't repent and bow down to Jesus Christ. So Jesus goes on in, uh, in verse 15. You judge by human standards, meaning they can't see beyond themselves. They can't see beyond their natural understanding of things. They can't see beyond the physical light. They can't see beyond that. Many people get stuck that in the physical world, trying to see things spiritually, trying to understand things spiritually. I'm talking about Christians here, but not looking beyond, not looking beyond and opening their heart to the spiritual life that God's given us and to that light that God's given us. And because they didn't have this spiritual life, they could not see that spiritual light. They could not see it. So their judgments are based on natural human views. And he continues, Jesus continues, I judge no one. I mean, of course he judges, but at this point, before he comes back in the second coming, then, uh, you know, it's, he, he didn't judge at the time. He came in love and forgiveness and truth. When he comes back, he will judge. But he says, I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true. Because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Meaning Jesus doesn't judge by human standards. He doesn't judge by what we see here, right? Sometimes we get caught up, we judge people by what we see. But Jesus doesn't judge by what he sees here in the natural he echoes his father's judgments from a spiritual perspective, from a different light, from different eyes. His judgments are righteous and true. And having dealt with that, Jesus returns to the original point of having witnesses, and he goes on to verse 17. Even in your law, it is written that testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Jesus is saying, okay, if you're insisting on two witnesses, I'm going to give you two. My Father in heaven and myself, Christ. Jesus' intimate relationship with the Father guaranteed Jesus could be a witness. But they refused to recognize that Jesus was the Father or his Father. Because if they agree to that, then that Jesus was, uh, that the Father was Jesus' Father, then they're agreeing that Jesus is God himself. Because what, that's what the Old Testament scriptures were saying. So it goes on to verse 19. And I'll end on that one and, and Athena will continue. Then they asked him, where is your father? You neither, uh, you neither know me nor my father, Jesus answered. If you knew me, you would also know my father. See, there are millions of people, possibly billions of people around the world that know God and, and know the father or see God as the father. Yet they reject Jesus as the son. Sometimes even Christians, they don't have a right understanding. And I've had some conversations about that in the past. And, but the truth is, you cannot know God if you don't know the son. 
That's the truth. If you reject Jesus, you reject the Father. It is impossible to love the Father and reject the Son. It is impossible to love the Son and reject the Father. Because Jesus is God and his testimony is one, or their testimony is one. The Father is the witness to the Son, and the Son is the witness to the Father. It's very good. I like being repetitive, eh? Different angles, just keep getting at different angles. The religious leaders did not know Jesus. Therefore, they did not know the Father. When they looked at Jesus, they saw a man from Nazareth. Smallest little town, poor little town, out in Galilee somewhere. It's like, who is this bloke? Worthless. And they did not, they could not see that Jesus was the great I am. The great I am. Man, how could that be missed? And that meant they, rebo- they, they rejected both the Son and the Father. We see throughout all the scriptures that religious leaders, their eyes were blind and they could not see the truth. They did not like Jesus because he called them out on their hypocrisy. You mean being hypocrites, if you don't know what hypocrisy means. If you don't know what hypocrites mean, it means you're saying something about someone, but you yourself are the same kind of thing. Hopefully you get that. They rejected the light of the world. They rejected the light of their own world. They chose to remain hypocrites and legalists, condemning others, pointing other faults, and conveniently not looking at their own faults. And like the religious leaders today, many modern-day people and even churches are guilty of condemning, guilty of judging people in their sins. They choose to judge sins such as drunkenness, even homosexuality, immorality. They avoid these people at all costs, stay within the church, but it just causes more division in the community. But yet, they conveniently look over their own hypocrisy their own legalism, their own pride. And it's so funny that Jesus always rejected the hypocrites, right? But Jesus always shows kindness to the sinner. And the word says that kindness leads people to repentance, the kindness of God, the kindness and the love of God. Many can claim to know the light of the world, but hide their own darkness. We've got to open our hearts to Christ. We've got to trust him. Many don't really want to truly acknowledge their own shortfalls. If you don't want to acknowledge that, how is Christ going to come in? We need to know that God is not mocked. God sees every thought and every intention of the heart. We need to be people that truly follow Christ. We need to be people that truly allow the light to penetrate our own hearts. We don't need to hide from the light of truth. And like that adulterous woman, Jesus shows love and compassion and forgiveness to all that turn to him. You can turn to him right now, wherever you are. Whatever sin or guilt or condemnation you might be feeling, the little thing, I had a chat with someone uh, the other day, Christian for 20 years, still holding this little thing that's been burdening him for like 10 years or 6 years or something like that paralyzed Ah, and I'm like 
hey, you know what? The love of God, the love, the light, sure, we're, we're human, sure, we're going to, you know, we're not perfect. But if you know, let it go. If you know about it, just let it go. Like John Ruby was saying, forgiveness. Is that what you said? I think you said that. <laughs> we can acknowledge our sins and we can repent. We can be drawn to the great I am with complete openness. We can be drawn to the light of the world, the one who illuminates our sins and cleanses us of all of our sins. And we can be free. Free. We can be free. We can be free to be in a genuine and open and honest relationship with Jesus. Those that follow him will have the light. And where there is light, there cannot be darkness. John 1.4, in John's prologue again, in chapter 1.4, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He gives light. Jesus gives light. Nothing will be the same again when you have his light. Everything looks different in Christ, in the light of Christ. If you've been born again, and if you've been transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit, darkness has no hold on you. Darkness has no hold on you. The world has no hold on you. We don't need to be afraid because the light of heaven is in our hearts when we truly believe and we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. You have been delivered by the darkness. You've been delivered out of the darkness. And you do not need a deliverance minister to tell you that. You need the Word of God to tell you that. We don't need somebody. We don't need to be a McDonald's society where we need to go and find someone, the next big thing in town that can come and pray for me. Hey, the Word of God is here. The Word of God. you got everything that you need. Sure, we need to pray for people. Sure, some people, you know, there's a scripture that says that you, you've, you've cleaned your house and, uh, and, you know, the house is empty. The demons come back seven times more. But that's somebody that's gone far, that's far gone, right? Someone that's made steps along the way and made decisions along the way to continue sinning. But us, those that repent, those that love God, those that confess their sins and truly believe God are delivered. We have the light of God in our hearts. Where there is light, there cannot be darkness. Is God not greater than darkness? Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And I had a conversation, the, the conversation that I had continued, that the person after so many years believed and thought that they needed someone to pray for them, for them to repent. And that is not truth. The truth is, you can repent right now. You have the truth. You know the truth. And that truth will set you free. Life in Christ gives light to the dark soul. And that life gives eternal life. You are empowered to live a life in light. And you are empowered to live a godly life 
and a holy life. You have the strength. The Holy Spirit has given you the strength. The light of Christ has revealed himself to you. And as we receive this light, we, we call to shine the light and shine the light of, of God around us. Matthew 5.14 says that you're, you are the light of the world. Oh, thank you for putting that up. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You have the light and the light can flow through you. Only you decide to not that light flow through. We have the responsibility to carry this light to our friends, to our family, to our community. When we live our lives reflecting the light, it allows others to see his love and his kindness. We are called to share the gospel and we'll show the gospel by the way that we live. We can lead people to Christ, to the living water, to the bread of life, and people will never be thirsty again. We never need to be thirsty again, thirsting after the world, that is. I mean, you still need water, a cup of water. That's important. We need to be the light of the world. We need to reflect His light in the world around us. His light of truth and love. Amen? Can I invite the band up, please? Let's bow our heads this morning as we pray and reflect. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word this morning. We thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that you are the light and the life. You are the light of truth in our hearts, in our mind, in our whole life. We thank you so much for the power of your Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a godly life and a holy life. We thank you for the power of your Spirit that empowers us to share the light of God to those around us. Father, we ask you that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us with patience. Sometimes we need a lot of patience, God. We ask you that you would strengthen us with mercy and goodness and patience around us, Lord, so that we can continue to share your love to others. Thank you, Father, that you would Illuminate our hearts with your truth. Illuminate our hearts. We thank you that your word is truth. That the light and life of Jesus is truth. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will lead us guide us into all truth help us to be those that share light from a genuine relationship with you
Help us to relate to you. Help us to connect with you. Give us the courage to have an open heart as you expose our sins. Give us the courage to repent and turn back to you. Jesus, we need you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you that you've never left us or forsaken us. God, you give us everything we need to live a godly life. And we thank you, God, that your light will expel all darkness from our lives. And if any of us, and that's including me at one stage, believe that darkness is still in them, even though your light is there, Father, we repent and we align ourselves with your truth because we know that where there is light, there cannot be darkness. There cannot be darkness. We thank you that your life, your light illuminates every part of our soul, of our being, and expels any darkness that might be hidden. We thank you, God, that you've given us freedom to enjoy relationship with you and freedom to enjoy that repentance and that forgiveness and mercy and love and kindness. Thank you, God.